0: Next on Contemplate.
1: It's saying, nope, it's not you. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not David Koresh. It's not Oprah. It's not your husband or your wife. It's not NFL football. It's not your kids. It's not any of these things that we try to do to fix ourselves, to feel better. It's none of those. There's no other name but Jesus that will save you.
0: As we look at Peter's response to the Jewish leaders, we're going to learn a lot about putting Jesus first. Please turn to Acts 4 verse 8 as we join Pastor David Robinson with today's episode recorded live at Acts Church.
1: So Let's look at what Peter does. Chapter 4 verses 8 through 10 it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. He says, It says right there in verse 8, right at the beginning, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Okay. Um here's the deal. It would be very difficult as I've already discussed to be a bumpkin fisherman from Galilee and go in front of the most powerful uh possibly the most intelligent certainly the most well-learned and well-read people in the land. And I think that short of being filled with the Holy Spirit this speech might have looked different. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit and in fact I think Peter knew he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And how did he know he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus had told him before that he would be. If we look at Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, it says this. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So here we see Jesus' words coming true. Here's Peter. He sure doesn't know what to say by himself and his own power. But the Holy Spirit comes and fills him, and he's able to say what he needs to say. Now, here's the really cool thing about that. It's true for you, too. It's true for you, too. In our society currently, and frankly, I'll just be honest with you, there's nothing new under the sun. It's always been this way to some extent, but it's becoming more and more serious, especially in America. We, I don't think we've ever had a time when it was quite this bad, but I don't know. I wasn't alive for the last 220 whatever years. But um, I can tell you this, right now it's getting more and more serious than it's ever been in my life. There are a lot of people who will call you to question for what you believe. And they will do it in a loud way and in an unkind way. They'll say that what you believe is a fairy tale. It doesn't. it doesn't comport with reality, and that you're an idiot for believing it. And I think a lot of people, a lot of us say to ourselves, if and when that happens and I'm challenged and I'm questioned about my faith, about the reliability of Scripture, about the miracles in the Bible, about Jesus in general, will I be able to answer? Will I be able to answer? Here's the thing. You need to be prepared for those things because Scripture tells us tells us that we need to have an, an answer ready for the hope that lies within. So you need to do your own preparation to be ready to answer people. But no one's going to be perfect in that, first of all. And the fact is that Christ has told us the Holy Spirit's going to take that. He's going to take care of that. Just knowing how to argue is not always what's necessary. If you'll listen and if you'll wait, when these moments come, if you just allow the Holy Spirit to move, he'll give you The answer that you need. He'll give you what you need to say. For me, I'm an arguer. I love to argue. Who disagrees with me? We'll argue it out right now. I love to argue. So when I'm in these situations, my my default position is to come back at it and to argue. But the Holy Spirit may not have that in mind. The Holy Spirit may have something else in mind a soft answer, a story, a limerick. I don't know. He might have something else that He wants me to do, right? And so I need to be prepared to do whatever it is that he's calling me to do. And so do you. It may be to come back with argument. It may be that this person doesn't really want to hear argument. But they want to see how you react to being attacked. I don't know. Maybe the Holy Spirit will tell you nothing. In which case, here's my advice. Say nothing. Right? We don't always have to talk. God will protect his own glory. Okay? He doesn't need you to do that for him. OK, he is God. He is powerful. Don't worry about what other people think all the time. There's a time and a place where you just OK, bro, that's what you think. Fair enough. I don't have anything for you. You know, it's not that I don't believe what I what I believe. It's just that I don't want to get into this argument with you. Right. There may be a time for that where the Holy Spirit is saying, don't talk. Just listen or walk away or whatever. So the point is, you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit because Jesus has told you, in these moments, it's the Holy Spirit that will give you what to say. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Let the Holy Spirit do it. So don't be afraid. We're not a people of fear. are not a people of fear. We're a people of the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. He'll give you what you need to say. Don't, don't worry about it. Look, <laughs> we already know, if you read to the end, you know what's going to happen. It doesn't matter what people think. They can't stop it by thinking it's a fairy tale. Okay? They can't stop it by thinking it's a fairy tale. So who cares? At the end of the day, allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. All right? Okay. So we do need to equip ourselves, but we need to let the Holy Spirit give us what we need. So the Holy Spirit's given Peter what he needs, and he says this to them. What does he say to them? No big deal. Just told them that they have killed God. Right? Again, think about who he's talking to. The most powerful people among his people. He tells them, by the way, you all killed the Messiah. You killed God. God rose him from the dead. And this man today was healed by his power, by the power of his name. Now, that is a, uh, (laughs) that's some pushback. Right? They came, who did, who, who told you you could do this and who? And he says, look, my, my authority, I'll show it to you. Jesus rose from the dead, and you got a guy walking, standing here. That's my authority. And by the way, you killed Jesus, who was the Messiah, who was God. God rose him from the dead. Now, you don't generally come at people like that and say things like that. Bad things happen to you. That's how that works. Things didn't work out well for Jesus originally, right? They were aware of that. They saw what happened last time somebody talked back to them. He hung on a cross after being beaten severely. Okay? That's the power that these people had, the power to, to bring death to you. But yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter is able to say that. What does he say next? Let's look at verse 411. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. So he's talking about Jesus. This is, he's quoting the passage of Psalm 118, verse 22. 118, 22. That's the passage he's quoted right there. And he's saying, listen, this is a prophecy about Jesus. Now, there's a story that goes along with Psalm 118, 22, um, a prophecy that perhaps is already fulfilled, and it has to do with the Temple of Solomon. Let me tell you a couple of things first. What's a cornerstone? You know, that's, that's probably not all of us are masons, um, builders, and so we don't know. So the cornerstone, or or the way this would be interpreted in the Hebrew, the stone at the corner, stone of the corner, there's basically two that we refer to, the cornerstone and the capstone. These are the cornerstones. Cornerstone goes in first capstone goes in last, these stones have to be perfect. They have to be made perfect because the integrity of the building relies on their perfection for the building to be able to stay up. Okay, so the story goes, the, the, the Jewish story goes, that when the Temple of Solomon was built, that these guys, when they were working on these stones, because it's just huge stones that this temple is made out of, And they have to use hammers and chisels and they have to make these stones a certain shape. But you couldn't do it there on the Temple Mount where the temple was being built because it was a place of worship and you had to be quiet. So no tool or hammer was heard where the place was actually being built, where the temple was actually being built. So they had to do it somewhere else. So they would make these stones, they would send them up, these guys would look at the blueprint and they'd put them in place. Well, early on, a stone comes up, they're looking on the blueprint and they don't see where it goes. So they put it over to the side. And as they continue to build the temple, more stones come, and they put them in. Eventually, they say, this stone obviously didn't go anywhere, and they reject it. They push it over the side of the hill, and it rolls down into the bushes, and there it sits. And when it's time to complete the temple and put in the capstone, they go down to the masons and say, where's the capstone? And the masons say, we sent it up to you a long time ago. At the beginning, we sent you the capstone. What do you mean? Why are you asking me where it is?" And they're like, well, we don't have it. You know, it's pretty big. It doesn't just go missing. And then somebody realized and recognized and remembered, oh yeah, that stone we rejected, the one we pushed down the hill, that was the the capstone. That was the cornerstone. That was the one that goes in there. So I had to go down the hill and get it and bring it back up and put it in. And of course it fit and it worked. Now, what is Peter saying? The cornerstone is that stone that finishes it and the stone that holds it all together and he's saying this man who you killed you rejected he's the cornerstone nothing about scripture nothing about the Old Testament the prophecies the sacrifice all the stories all the wonders that God did everything all the law everything that you see in the Old Testament none of it makes sense without Jesus he's the thing that ties it all together Nothing about the story of the universe makes sense without Jesus. See, we know we're fallen. We know that there's trouble. And the only thing that brings it back together, that makes it make sense, is Jesus. He's the cornerstone. He fits perfectly. And when you know Jesus and you understand, you understand how the Bible works. And you understand how life works. And you understand how the universe works. And this is what Peter's saying. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the one that fits and makes everything work. Now, this is a big thing for him to be saying to these guys because they basically thought they were the cornerstone. They were the ones who knew how to interpret the law. They were the ones with the power over the people. They were the elders and the scribes and the rulers and the high priest. You don't tell them. They tell you. But here, Peter is saying, no, this prophecy was about Jesus. He's the cornerstone. What's he say next? Let's find out. Verse 12 nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here it is. The Holy Spirit through Peter makes another one of these exclusive statements. We've heard them before. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now Peter is saying the same thing again. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He is telling these guys, listen, all of your keeping of the law, all of your teaching and your books and your extra books that tell us how to keep the law and how to keep it perfectly and so on, none of that will save you. There's only one name that will save you, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. This is a this is a bold and a big statement. Now, we'll find out how they reacted to it next week, Lord willing. When we come back, we'll get into how they reacted to it. But let me tell you this, as a little spoiler alert, they reacted to it the same way most people react to it. They don't like it. They don't like it. Why is that? Well, because it's exclusive, first of all. It's saying, nope, it's not you. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not David Koresh. It's not Oprah. It's not your husband or your wife. It's not NFL football, it's not your kids, it's not any of these things that we try to do to fix ourselves, to feel better, it's none of those. There's no other name but Jesus that will save you. Now, in our society, we want to all be right. Can't we just all be right? Can't we all just get along? Can't everybody be right? Well, we've discussed this before, the answer is no. No. If you go back to the Skeptic's Forum, I think week one and week six, in both of those weeks, I think we talked about the issue of exclusivity and the exclusivity of the Bible, where Jesus says, it's just me, I'm the only way, there are no other ways. We talked about two opposite things cannot both be right at the same time. They cannot. So if Jesus says, I'm the only way, then there can't be another way that's also right. Well, we don't like that. You remember we talked about postmodernism. We said modernism came around and said, we're going to fix everything. We're going to fix it all. How? Through our reason. Not through God, not through any of that. We're really smart. And if we just put our minds to it, we'll fix all the problems, and eventually we'll have a perfect world. And people bought into this for hundreds of years. Till the 20th century, we see two world wars, genocides, and other, all other kinds of evil. And people said, oh, no, modernism doesn't work. We're not going to figure it out. That's not the story. That's not the story that's going to fix everything. And so what they did is they slid, again, that pendulum slid not to the middle where we say, okay, modernism is wrong, what might be right? It slid all the way out and said, nothing is right, nothing is true, which meant that everything was true. It's all the same. You can say one, you can say the other. Everything is true, right? We're all right. But that doesn't work either because we're not all right because the truth is there's only one way and there's only one name that's what Peter's saying that's what Jesus said about himself Jesus is the only way to salvation the question for you is what do you believe about that I know many of us we've come to Christ and we've said we believe he's the only way we believe he's the only way to heaven Um, and and so okay great But he's also the only way to salvation in every other sense of the word. See, we know we're broken. If this is your first time here, or if you're not a Christian, or whatever, wherever wherever you've come from, whatever your story is, you know that you're broken and that the world is broken. And if you don't think that's true, you might want to ask whether you're lying to yourself. People are not generally good. The world is not generally heading in a good direction. It's just as broken as it always has been. Since the first time we sinned, that's we're broken. And so we have to have a way out of that. And what we've done is we've created for ourselves, we've talked about this before, functional saviors. We create these things that try to make us feel better. But the problem is that all our functional saviors have failed us. No matter how good they seem, we'll all get married. My wife will make me feel better. That will fix it. I'll have kids. The wife thing didn't work as well as I thought it would. So, I'll have kids, they'll make me feel better. That's even worse, right? <laughs> if we keep going, right? What's gonna make me feel better? I'll put my child, t- go hunting, I'll go fishing, right? I'll get into any of these things and they'll make me feel better, but they won't because we know that we're broken and we know that we do what's wrong we know that there's a moral law and we know that we break it see these guys the Sanhedrin was full of guys that were all about the law they would tell you everything you could know about the law they could quote it out the only thing they couldn't do is follow it they couldn't follow it now they pretend like they followed it and that they were very holy and they'd walk around exercising their authority over everybody stepping on the heads of those lower than them acting like they don't make mistakes they don't stink they're good Right? But the fact is, they knew in their heart, like every other human being knows in their heart, that there's a moral law and that you break it. And it's because of that that you're broken. So, what do we do as a society? Do we say, okay, all right, okay, good. We know there's a moral law and I break it. And because I break it, I got problems. If there's a good and just God, if there's a good and just God, I've got to be in trouble with him. It would not, he would not be good and just. He would not be good and just if he was okay with the things I've said with the things I've done with things I've thought with the way I've treated his children with the way I've thought about his children right we know that that's not right so what do we do do we go to Jesus who said I'm the way the truth and the life come to me you who are weary and heavy laden I'll give you rest the guy that Peter says is the only name under heaven by which man can be saved no again we reject it so what do we do we change the rules we just change the rules like, it can, like that can be done. The moral law says don't do it. We just say, no, 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 we'll just say we can do it. We'll just say we can do it. We just redefine marriage. We just redefine gender. We just redefine what a baby is. We just make new rules. Why? So that we can try to feel better about ourselves that we're not breaking the moral law. We have this vast conspiracy in society where I say what you're doing is okay, and you say what I'm doing is okay, and neither one of us has to feel any shame. But here's the problem. It doesn't work. It doesn't take your shame away. It doesn't do anything. That gnawing feeling in the pit of your stomach is just truth trying to get through to you. You know that you need to be fixed. And if you say that you don't and you say that everything's fine and the world's getting better and people are generally good and things like that, you're just lying to yourself. You're not being very honest about the way things work. You know that you need something to fix it. But when I tell you that the answer is only in Jesus Christ, you want to push against that because we're so worried. We're so worried about what it would mean to submit to God and what that calling on our life might look like. But the fact is, The fact is, you cannot find your confidence, your satisfaction in anything else. There is no such thing. Just break a myth for you. One of the the ways that we try to get a functional savior these days is self-confidence. Build up your self-confidence. Have some self-esteem. Have some self-confidence. Here's the deal. There's no such thing as self-confidence. There's only Jesus' confidence. Self-confidence doesn't work. Why? Because you're broken. You shouldn't have confidence in yourself. You aren't that special. Neither am I. None of us are. We were made special, but we've become broken. So you can't have confidence in your broken self. You can only have confidence in the perfect cornerstone. There's only Jesus' confidence. There is no other way. We run from that fact. We want to figure it out on our own. We want to figure out how to be saved on our own. But what Peter is saying, what Jesus is saying, and the thing that echoes through Scripture... And the thing that has echoed through the church for over 2,000 years is, listen, we might wish it was a different way. We might personally want it to be a different way, but there is only one way. And that is Jesus Christ. That is his name. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about you. But when you do submit to him, and when you give your life to him, what you'll find out is that for the first time, Once you've given yourself to him, he'll make you all of who you were supposed to be in the first place. Even though it's not about you, it's about him, he gives you the fullness of you. Because he's the thing that makes sense and that ties it all together. So we've got to decide, what do we believe? If God is speaking to your heart and he's calling you to himself, you've got to make a decision about what you're going to do. Even if you're saved, it's very easy for those functional saviors to slip in. I'm saved, but I'm not feeling great right now. So I'm gonna look to this thing, or I'm gonna look to that thing. When our direction should always be look back to Jesus. Always should be look back to Jesus. Why are you not feeling well? Why are things not going well? Jesus is the answer. None of these other things are the answer. So today, if God's calling you, hey, it's time to look back to me, or if he's calling you for the first time, hey, come to me. Then when we take communion and we have this time, there's gonna be a prayer room. Right back here, if you go right out these doors, you just go right down here. It's the first, first door on your left in this hall. And it's just a place where you can pray. There will be people there to pray with you if you want them to. But if you need to come before the Lord and accept him for the first time, or if you need to come before the Lord and say, look, you're the only way. Yes, I've, I've, I've come to you for ultimate salvation so I can be in heaven, but I constantly look to other things. For my other kinds of salvation, for my salvation from loneliness, or for my salvation from um, sadness or boredom or whatever. I need to look to you. Go in there and do that. We're gonna take communion in a second. This is for Christians. These are people who are followers of Christ, who have submitted themselves to Him. This is the way that we celebrate, remember His death and His resurrection for us. The tables are in the back. This is a time to remember Him. This is a time to ask yourself this question today. Am I looking to Jesus only as my Savior? Do I have self-confidence, Oprah confidence, you know, NFL football confidence, whatever? My kids' confidence, my spouse' confidence. Who am I looking to for my self-satisfaction? If it's not Jesus, today's the day to make it Jesus again and keep your eyes fixed on him. My job, one of my jobs, is to constantly, repeatedly bring you back to the idea that you need to be seeking Jesus only. Him first, Him last, Him only. All these other things can be a gift, but none of them can save you. And if you use them that way, they will fail you. But He never will.
0: So where is your trust? In yourself or Jesus? Now, if you've realized that it's time to make some changes, we'd love to help. Come see us here at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington this Sunday morning. Let us help you find the truth and the hope that comes in Christ. Get easy directions anytime at ActsChurchNW.org or call 360-885-9000. Hope to meet you this Sunday. Thanks for listening and be sure and check out the next episode for more great teaching from Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.